Hello, friends. Welcome to Conversations with the Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Before we get started and dive into the interview, I wanted to reiterate some announcements that I made last week and just continue to assault your ears with my messages. So (laughs) one thing I want to share is that I've got a Patreon page. And for people who haven't been on Patreon before, essentially, if you dig the podcast, if you dig what this is about, Patreon is a way that you can give back and you can help. And one benefit that you get of being a Patreon donor is that you get to have a live conversation with moi once a month. I've done it a couple times and I have to say it's such a lovely way to connect with people and continue these conversations, not in such a public forum. So if you want to donate, you can go to patreon.com slash wounded healer and that's wounded H-E-A-L-R. And there's no last E. I know it's weird, but that's what we've done. Here we are. Next announcement, I'm super excited to be going live on Instagram with Aisha Heels on Wednesday, June 19th at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you liked Aisha's interview with me, I think you're going to really enjoy what happens when she and I are live and actually get to see each other's faces and geek out about energy medicine. It's going to be super cool. So I really look forward to seeing you there. You can either follow Aisha Heels, that's A-I-S-H-A-H-E-A-L-S. Or if you follow me at Head Heart Therapy, you'll be able to find us there. So let's get into today's topic. So Jade T. Perry is my guest today. And she is a multidisciplinary artist, writer, speaker, tarot card slinger, churchy mystic, chronically ill and disabled babe, an embodied sensuality ritual curator and co-founder of the Mystic Soul Project. The mission of her work is twofold to creatively challenge secular and sacred systems toward greater levels of inclusion, and to contribute resources, art, narratives, and experiential learning opportunities that aid in the holistic healing processes of people of color, queer people of color, and disabled and chronically ill people of color. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jade, and I think she's doing some pretty cool stuff in the world. So make sure that if you dig the conversation that we have, that you check her out. We've got all of her social media and websites and ways to contact her on our page. So please enjoy my interview with Jade T. Perry. Hello, Jade Perry. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you for having me. OMG, thank you for agreeing to be had. (laughs) Is that how it is? I don't know. So I found you, I just always like to kind of give the listeners the little like overview of where people came from in my sphere and you're friends with Michelle, right? You don't just work with her, you're friends with her? Yes, we met each other at the Mystic Soul Conference. Mm -hmm. So I've only Mm -hmm. known her for a year now and we really connected. It's funny because my best friend is her cousin. Oh, (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so it was a nice little connecting piece there. And so we're still building in our collaboration, Mm -hmm. friendship, networking, all of that. And it's been a beautiful process. Yeah, that's so cool. Her podcast interview, I told her at the time that we're recording this right now, it's the beginning of April and her podcast came out a month ago and she's already like number nine on the top of my most listened to interviews. I'm like, girl, that was fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And you asked right before we started recording, like, why did you have me on this podcast? What do you want me to talk about? And my reply to you was just 
you do so much stuff and all of the stuff that you do is cool. So why don't you tell the listeners who you are? And well, you should tell them what you don't do because that's probably less expansive than what you do do. I said do do. (laughs) But anyway, Jade, if you wouldn't mind telling people who you are and what you do and whatever that looks like is beautiful to me. Cool. I absolutely can. So I'm JT Perry. It is funny because it probably would be shorter to say the thing that I do not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but some words that describe me and my work are writer, speaker. I am a churchy mystic. And when I say churchy mystic, I don't necessarily mean a specific religion at all. Mm-hmm. I mean that I was raised in the charismatic black church. Mm-hmm. Under- the synchronicities of how different religions and indigenous practices blend within those spaces and spheres Mm. and draw a lot of my mysticism from those spaces. I'm a tarot card reader. I am an educator. I've worked with college students and I'm now working with high school students to create different arts and education initiatives. Mm. In addition to that, I'm an intuitive wellness. Mm. That's probably the most important part here. (laughs) And I am a tarot card reader, a Reiki healer. Yes. Yes. And so the mission of my work overall is to, number one, provide queer POC, people of color, with tools, collaborative dreaming, and safe spaces Mm. containers to really be who they are and to tune into their own intuition and intuitive wellness. Mm. It's also a part of my mission to encourage both sacred and secular spaces to be not just inclusive, right, but Mm -hmm. celebratory and centering of the people that have had a history of marginalizing. And Mm -hmm. so that's me. That's what I do. Aside from my work, I am a mother of two cats. (laughs) And they are completely awesome. (laughs) That's fantastic. I definitely want to talk about the Mystic Soul Conference. Yes. But before we get there, I'd love to kind of have you rewind and essentially tell us how you got to be all of these amazing, exciting things. I'm so impressed. Like people are getting it these days. I feel like we all have 800 job titles and are slaying. And I love watching other humans do that. So how the fuck did you get here? Yes. Okay. It's funny because we talked about Mystic Soul, but I had never said that I was a co-founder of Mystic Soul. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mystic Soul Project is a 501c3 organization that centers people of color in mysticism, activism, and healing. And we are queer and trans celebratory. Mm. So let's see, how did I get here? It's funny because the first thing that I was ever trained in hardcore training was the creative and performing arts. Oh, okay. Yes. So my background is in theater, creative writing, and communication arts. And those things have really buoyed me through the entirety of my career Mm. and my intuitive wellness practice because it's more of an intuitive artistic practice that I offer. And so it's funny because I remember <laughs> I remember back in the way back when I was in college, it was funny because I had an advisor who was saying, you know, you want to do all of these very different and very cool things, but I just don't know if you can do it all. And, and you're like, watch I me, almost, bitch. 
emotional challenge. Yeah. Not even to prove them wrong, but right, to live right. to the fullness of myself Ugh. and to live to the fullness of my mission. Yes. And that these were things that I could do with the savvy and collaborative dreaming of my community mm. and of my ancestors and of my guides. And so I left that space, graduated, got a master's of education, particularly working with identity development for mm. adults. So that's kind of the second mm. part of the where the work got deeper, right? Because yeah. I was at all these parts of how are people crafting, creating, being born into, evolving their identities, both personally and socioculturally. Mm-hmm. I started getting into the pieces of mysticism because I have really always been a churchy mystic. It's mm. just that now I have language for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Say more about that. So I told you I was trained in the arts. So I began a digital storytelling and writing Mm. process around my own biomythology and my own way of understanding that my family, my familial legacy and ancestry, they were church going people. Right. But then Mm. they had these other practices, the side of working with herbs and working with Mm. all of these different things. And so I really wanted to show how that came about in my life. Mm. And then on the other side of my ancestral lineage, there is talk of one of my great, great, great grandmothers being an intuitive healer in Florida. Mm. And so for me, it was really just a reclaiming, remembering. But then I started to have some light bulb moments, right, Mm. of seeing myself and seeing that work in the larger stream of the lineage of black and brown people using indigenous mysticism and using indigenous Mm. practices to really cope with all of the social cultural traumas, dramas, Mm. and systemic oppressions that we've had to face. Mm -hmm. And so that is how, uh, through my writing process, through my dreaming process, through my reading process, and through kind of curating my own personal intuitive wellness, which included reading Tarot and being attuned to Reiki. Mm-hmm. Through all those things, I met Teresa. And Teresa is the co-founder of Mythic Soul and is the executive director. And I met Ra, who was also a co-founder. Mm. So we just began talking about our lineage, mm. talking about... POC lineage and mysticism. We started talking about the fact that a lot of contemplative spaces will co-opt and appropriate indigenous Mm -hmm. knowledges and understandings. And really the big deal was we came together and was like, wow, we are not isolated in thinking this and experiencing. Mm. And so that was the seed of the Mystic Soul Project, which has grown into an annual conference. We have Mm. community groups that are around the United States and it's still growing. We're only in our second year. And so still learning and growing and moving and shifting and shaking. And it's been a beautiful process so far. Yeah. And the conference is in Chicago in June, right? Yes. The conference is in Chicago in June to center people of color in activism, in art, in Mm -hmm. history mysticism. And there is an application process. And we do that because we really want to make sure that people are ready for this space. Right, right. And people are ready to grow and people are ready to really have these dialogues that we need to have. I actually thought that was a brilliant way to make sure that you're creating a safe space because that's that's part of the challenge, I think, of any spiritual conference is that you don't know who's going to walk in the door. So that was a really brilliant way that you've cultivated that. 
what are you looking for in order to like deem someone quote unquote ready? So we are looking for number one, just the knowledge that you can bring to the space. But the thing that we understand is through a decolonized format, we understand that everyone is a leader and we understand that everyone has knowledge, indigenous POC centered knowledge. And so we're wanting folks to bring that to the space. And for folks who are not POC, we're looking to see what kind of work has been done around Mm -hmm. being in community, right? Just being Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. beautiful community with POC that is POC centered. And so the things that we're looking for is just some language around what your journey has been, what your process has been, what you can bring to the space. Mm-hmm. Think some thoughts around, are you aware of the privileges yeah. that you have? And so for example, for me as a cisgender femme, I have to be aware of that part of privilege mm-hmm. and that this impacts the personal intuitive work that I've done on that impacts how I am in a space. Yeah, For people who have knowledge of that, who have understanding of that, and who are just really ready for these conversations. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. Power and authority and privilege have continued to show up in my work in, in different ways. In the work that I've been doing recently on like really looking at my white privilege and shining more of a light on that, I've been recognizing how also my position of authority with People that I work with as far as clients or even staff, how if I don't own that privilege and power, how I can be perpetuating pain for people who are, quote unquote, underneath me. And I just had never thought of it before. And I'm like having this whole like awakening to how I mean, everybody's got to look at what power they have. And there's so much we could talk about around this. <laughs> God. The point is, right, to heal. Right. <laughs> heal and to not perpetuate right. more harm, whether systemically or interpersonally. Right. And so as we, as we heal together, I am so excited for all of the ways that we can dream together and sometimes have those hard conversations. Yeah. I'm a little out here right now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so let, let me bring it back in. Mm-hmm. Think about the power dynamics in this space and let me align as necessary or realign as necessary. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've recognized is, so I do a lot of work with shame and I realized that shame seems to be the thing that gets in the way of people being able to recognize the dark side of their power or privilege or authority, right? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that will even come up in some of the work that I do through Tarot. And, and, Tell and me so- more. <laughs> And it's beyond, you know, thinking about personal privileges or systemic privileges. It's just thinking about how do we work through shame? And Mm -hmm. for me, it's how do we use art and how Mm -hmm. do we use imagery and symbolism Mm -hmm. to work through shame? So that reminds me, actually, this is a complete, (laughs) this is a complete like sidebar. Go wherever you want to go. It's I'm loving this. (laughs) because when you said shame, it actually brought up another leg of the work that I do, which is through sexuality and sensuality. Yeah. Yes. I love talking about sex and sensuality. (laughs) Bring it. One of the things that I have noticed and have grown into in the work through churchy mysticism and through looking at these different dynamics through a social cultural lens is the particular sensual 
and sexual shaming that is particularly within black church spaces. Mm. And so what I've been doing is actually offering different kinds of embodied rituals and kink classes. Mm -hmm. People can use art and imagery to row if they're open to it to work through some of those schemas, right? Of that, oh, the the body is shameful and to, to really reclaim the body and to really reclaim the sexuality and sensuality. And so, yes, I only bring that up to say that however we enter the work, mm-hmm. it's thing that we have to grapple with. Yeah. How do I responsibly mm-hmm. work through my own shame, mm-hmm. assist other people, right, who may be working from different sources and from in different ways? Yeah. Do you have an example? Because I think I understand what you mean by using like symbols and imagery and art in working through shame. But do you have an example of what that looks like? So one of the things that along my journey and along the writing and the biomythology that I have come up with is embodied rituals. And so embodied rituals are rooted in the fact that honoring our sexual and sensual selves is great, mm-hmm. it's healthy, and is honored and supported by the divine. And when yes. I say yeah. divine, I mean the divine in you, in me, inside of us, and outside of us. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we do in the embodied rituals is, for example, sensual collaging. So creating images that talk about our sensual and sexual energies, Mm. particular to POC doing this work, because Mm. we have to deal with the additional shaming and internalized oppression about our bodies, about sexuality, of either being hypersexualized or completely invisibilized and repressed and Mm -hmm. living in between those poles, right? And so we take a second to look at images, choose images, curate images that help us speak to our true selves, our true sensual and sexual selves. And that's going to be different for every person. And then what we do is we use those images through collaging on paper, on cardstock, but also through candle dressing. So using altar candles so that you can light those things Mm. and just have a place of remembrance, literally like remembering. Yeah, I love that. That reminded me, I think it was yesterday I saw a post that Rachel Cargill put on Instagram and there was a child's hand-drawn portrait of themselves and it was a black girl, but she drew herself as white. And then she had this whole narrative about how when little girls or children, black children would draw themselves as white, like what that essentially means. And part of it is like this idea that that black is ugly and I don't even like see myself represented and just all of these hosts of internalizations from the ways that Black people are portrayed or not portrayed in the culture. Yes. And it's important to have imagery and to create art, right? A lot of what happens, and I realized this maybe, I want to say about six years ago when I was working within a system that was POC-centered, and we were trying to figure out, okay, what is our true mission here? And Mm -hmm. how do to best serve ourselves, our colleagues, our people. And of course, everybody's idea of that's going to be very, very different. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I came to on a personal level is that I didn't want to get stuck in a feedback loop, right? Of saying, mm-hmm. hey, 
we exist, we're worthy, we're honored, and it just being there. Mm -hmm. I want to do that and create art for us and create storytelling and narrative and collaborative dreaming for us so that future generations can have something to yeah. look at say, okay, this is archival of that time in history. And so I think when you're working through POC-centered, intuitive healing, justice work, mysticism, a part of that is going to be talking back to dominant culture and saying, we are here and stop oppressing us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And these are the ways that you can do that, right? Mm -hmm. However, I think that we we have to find ways to do that and create art, storytelling, narratives, intuitive healing, getting back to those indigenous roots so that we can sustain ourselves, yeah. so that we remember that there is a culture, there is indigeneity, there are subcultures that are there and worthy and within the community on their own regard. And so those are things that I think to this day, I'm still living through, working my way through, and in conversation with people about how do we do those things mm -hmm. at the time if we can. Right. I mean, that's what Michelle and I ended up talking a lot about is how to take care of yourself to sustain this work that must be done. Yes, yes. And it's so important to do. It's so important to do because these systems and structures, so for myself as a Black, queer, disabled femme, these systems and structures are not set up for my success or to take care of me. Mm -hmm. So how do I advocate for that right. and also have some practices that I can pull upon? Also honoring my ancestors' work that they've done that I can pull upon mm -hmm. in order to continue to be renewed and refreshed for this work. Because the reality is burnout is real. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think aside from all of the like really cool, sexy, amazing, mystical things, right, that we do and that I do, you have to figure out, OK, well, what do we do with burnout? Yeah. Refueling yourself, knowing that you're speaking into some very real and very storied historical systems and structures. Absolutely. I'd love to ask you about the disabled piece, because I've seen you post some really thought-provoking posts on Instagram about that. And I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you said we're disabled, not differently abled. Can you talk about that? Yes. <laughs> okay. Here's my general thought on language, because mm -hmm. again, I was trained in theater and creative writing. My thought on language is if the language pertains to a community, but it is not actual community language then we have to really think about, well, why was this made and where did this come from? Mm -hmm. Differently able did not come from disability justice communities. Mm. <laughs> and for me, when we think about differently abled, it is a way for people to kind of skip over acknowledging the actual word disabled. So we are right. like colorblind, essentially. Yeah, I yes. getcha. So we are disabled by the systems and structures that do not make space for us. And for mm -hmm. folks who don't do the systems and structures language, right, we are disabled by the fact that not all bus depots or mm -hmm. train stations have elevators right. or lifts or all of those things that can be accessible. We are disabled by the mm -hmm. fact that healthcare is not available to all. We are disabled mm -hmm. by the fact 
that work in a capitalist society is seen as, okay, you bring your body to a desk and you work and work and work and work until you can't work anymore. And the point is production, right? The point is not wellness or reciprocity. The point is results and production. So we are disabled by those things. We are not differently abled by those things. Yeah, I was in a fight with the management company of one of the buildings of our offices because we got an inquiry from a person who was in a wheelchair and there's not an accessible entrance in the front except through another office. And so I reached out to them and I said, there needs to be a ramp. Like, you have a fucking elevator. Why? Like, how how can you not have an accessible front entrance? And they were like, well, he can come in the back. And I was like, do you not fucking under like if I was an accountant, you know, I wouldn't even think about that. I wouldn't care. I'm a therapy office and we specialize in shame. Like, do you understand how shaming that is to ask somebody who is in a wheelchair to come in the back? Like ridiculous. And they unfortunately didn't do anything about it. And luckily, like we were able to support the client in other ways. But it's so simple. But the management company is like, well, why would I spend the money if I don't have to? Because we meet ADA requirements. And I think, too, there's other places and pieces that make this layered. And so, of course, I don't know this client or anything like that, but I'm thinking about myself as someone who has been in therapy for Mm -hmm. longer than I can remember a date for. Right. But from my stance and from my positioning and my identity as a black disabled woman, Mm -hmm. you can enter through the back means a lot. Right. right. (laughs) As real history, real history around that. And so absolutely think that you see we start these conversations talking about language right Mm -hmm. but then we really get into the nitty-gritty of how language shapes perception and how language shapes society and how language shapes laws and so I'm glad that you asked about that because Mm -hmm. I could talk about that all day long (laughs) and now I'm thinking just this talk about language because I'm very particular about language too because that's kind of come from all of the shame work that I've done and As I've done this podcast and talked about similar themes with people, I notice that even though we have the same language, it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. And the way that you define something can be defined by likely often it's defined by the dominant culture. Right. And so exactly like you said, like going in through the back door. Sure. A white person may be like, okay, fine, whatever. I have to do that. And a person of color may be like, oh, hell no. Or whatever. Like that doesn't have to be the stereotypical reaction. But I wish there was a way we could really operationalize like one definition for everything (laughs) so that we were all actually talking about the same thing, right? Because that's the other piece that I've really recognized in the white privilege work is to tell a white person like you are biased. They don't understand what that really means until you break everything down underneath it and recognize like, oh, of course you're biased because this is a white supremacist society. And people of color are often biased against themselves because of that, right? I'm always wanting to, like, break everything down to, like, have us all be on the same page, you know? And that's the thing. I think there are points where language does fail us. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's why it's important that the intuitive healing arts are important. Storytelling, telling stories is important because it adds context. Yeah. And I believe that we can always create new language 
to explain exactly what it is that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful work to refine language and have conversation. And as you said, kind of get down to the root of when I say this, Mm -hmm. this is what I mean, because we're, we're all entering the conversation at different points. Right. So are you a healer? (laughs) (laughs) Just, I'm just going to throw that very tiny, insignificant Mm -hmm. question at you right now. (laughs) I like to think of myself as a healing collaborator. Mm -hmm. So I think when we talk about a healer, it conjures images up in my mind of someone, you know, coming to you and saying, okay, these are my needs. And so how can you help me, Mm -hmm. you know, with these needs? I definitely have a healing lineage in my family. My grandmother was an energy worker. She Mm -hmm. understood herbs. She understood energy. She was a churchy spiritualist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will say. And so I have that in my lineage. But I like to think of myself as a healing collaborator in that we heal together. Mm-hmm. We look at community and think about how can we build a healing community? And I think that's very important to me from my mm-hmm. understanding and lived experiences within the Black diaspora of really getting back to understanding that community itself, beloved, safe, consensual mm-hmm. community is healing. Yes. For those of us who have healing gifts, I think it's important for us to go into those spaces and collaborate with people if we're already in those spaces, to continue to collaborate with people so that they can access healing in an empowering and personal way. So Mm -hmm. I have been called a healer before, and I appreciate that that's language that people use for me because people understand it, right? But if you're asking me to talk about myself and and how I see myself, it would be as a healing collaborator. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also feel like The individualistic way of thinking like this person is a healer and then everybody (laughs) underneath them is at a different level, right? I guess this is part of the decolonization is creating more community and sharing that. And from what I've gathered in my explorations of spirituality is that because America has become so individualistic and success driven and money driven and just the superficial things, we've lost that interconnectedness. And from a psychological perspective, connection is how we heal because that's repairing attachment wounds that happen, you know, in our family of origin. And so we absolutely have to heal in community. There's no question to that. Yes, you got it. And and again, I love that because, yes, it's true, as you say, from the therapeutic standpoint. It's also true from POC-centered healing modalities is mm-hmm. that we do this in community and we do this for community. And I love that because I think as another sense of beautiful accountability and sharing in the Mm -hmm. process. So, I mean, what a lovely question. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. And I'm thinking of my clients and sometimes there's like a fear that they're going to heap this amount of responsibility on me to call me a healer. And this sounds kind of shitty, but not take responsibility for their own healing, but essentially put that on me. Do you ever find that in your communities as well, that people want to put you either on a pedestal or in a place? And sometimes it's hard to actually collaborate because people might not allow themselves the power that you want to share with them, right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. You've definitely tapped into a deep well there. It does happen to me, Mm -hmm. especially in forms and modalities where people don't have a base understanding of how it works. So here I'm thinking 
entirely up to row and Reiki, right? Where you have yeah. to uh, study and get attuned for certain things and all of these different things, right? And so I can understand because I've been a client, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've been a client mm-hmm. in there. I've been a client of Tarot. I've been a client of Reiki. I've been, mm-hmm. a, I've been a client. And I've done that. I've done that mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the, the right. thing right. that gets me to my next level and gets me to that next step. But I think, again, reclaiming ancestral practices and reclaiming POC-centeredness helps in unlearning mm-hmm. that and understanding that people in the community can be empowered to heal Mm -hmm. alongside each other. And so, yes, it does happen to me. And when it does, I try my best to reframe if in the moment. But what I've learned is just being upfront about that is helpful. And so you'll see my ethics and disclaimer for the intuitive wellness services that I provide. It is all about like, okay, this is what this is and this is what this isn't. (laughs) Yeah, good. Yeah, it's like our informed consent in therapy. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that are clear and aware of the dynamic that they're walking into and Mm -hmm. are clear and aware of the joy of being able to make decisions about your own intuitive health, wellness, journey, and life. And it's a while, I think, for people to unlearn powerlessness as they pursue their personal situations. And so I think, again, it requires patience, but I think it also requires people who are in helping professions of all kinds, of all sorts, to be clear about, here's where I am, here's Mm -hmm. what the problems are, right? Mm -hmm. And here's how we can work together and collaborate together. This is also making me think about our healthcare system and the way that the medical model works. It's all hierarchy. I've worked with plenty of, of doctors and nurses and people who work in a really structured medical hierarchy and how impossible it is. Actually, yesterday, literally yesterday, I had a conversation with a former staff person of mine, and she said, I had a client who I told the doctors this person needed to continue to be hospitalized, and they sent the person out, and then the person killed themselves. And she's like, I knew it. I knew it, and I did everything I could to tell them, and she's so angry at the doctors for not listening, and she's like, what did I do wrong? And I'm like, honey, you didn't do anything wrong. They didn't respect you. Like, there's literally nothing you could have done. You said everything you could say. She did absolutely everything. And that's not collaborative care. That's not patient-centered care. I mean, the social workers, of course, know the fucking patients better than the doctors do. The doctors spend maybe 15 minutes at a time with a patient. It's, it was just heartbreaking. Right. Okay, so here's where the plot thickens for me. Oh, please, please. I am the child of a medical practitioner. Oh, so you really know the inner workings. Yes, I am the disabled, chronically ill child. (laughs) Wow. And I love life's irony in that. Mm. And so I know, I know because, you know, I grew up with someone that was in that system, that is in that system, and Mm -hmm. that has a very hard time with the hierarchies that are in place. Yeah. She's a PA. She's a physician's mm-hmm. assistant. Her specialty is working with veterans who are detoxing from substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And so she spends a lot of time with these people. Yeah. How 
for the structures and the powers that be don't always allow for that collaborative care. Don't always yep. allow for things beyond. Yep. Here's a prescription. This is where you pick it up. Exactly. <laughs> and all of those things. And there's definitely like a burdening of practitioners. Yes. And so the burnout culture is really, really real. And that is where I think disability justice activists, artists, and healers really, really, really have something to say. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like screaming into a void. I'm like, I know, I know. People are like, listen, you may be able-bodied now, but again, this is a very easy community to get into. Disability justice, activists, artists, healers, all of these things, we're here and we're saying mm-hmm. this system, it's not efficient. Nope. It's not effective. Mm-hmm. It's disempowering it's kind of like being on the other side of a mountain being like listen it gets real steep and real slippery Mm -hmm, (laughs) as mm -hmm. you try to navigate these things and so I really really do have this desire for people who are non-disabled to really listen to people who are disabled and chronically ill about the spaces that we can and cannot enter, about the healthcare that we receive. Because the reality is, again, you're non-disabled until you're not. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense, right? As we prioritize those who are most vulnerable, we really are prioritizing ourselves. And we really Mm -hmm. are prioritizing the future. Mm -hmm. Mm. So speaking of disabilities, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? Oh, wow. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Another very light and airy question. How does Jay Perry feel about that term? I think for me, it allows a lot of space because of the fact that I am disabled. I do deal with chronic pain and I do deal with chronic illness. And so while I don't necessarily see it as wounding, that the language of understanding pain and getting to know pain compassionately mm-hmm. and being in a compassionate relationship with your body is something that I resonate with. I think the term wounded healer, I think it works in some instances, but it's not going to work in all instances. And so I think we need variations of that term. Again, this is where we come up with creating new language. Right. What would it look like to acknowledge, just simply acknowledge the fact that our bodies, they change. Mm-hmm. We are living organisms. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so... How can we honor that? How can we honor? The thing I like about the term wounded healer is that it honors the fact that a healing journey is not always going to be like, look at me so bubbly and bright on Instagram with my life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the fact that, you know, Jade, you're working with other people. Your ass also needs to be in therapy Mm -hmm. to work through, you know, the things that you have to work through. And so I think wounded healer works in those instances, but I think there's always space to grow and stretch because again, to reflect healing collaboration or maybe compassionate understanding of the body. Of course, those things Mm. don't sexy as wounded healer. I'm not a marketing person, so I don't, (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't sound very sexy. But again, I think there's frameworks within frameworks and nuances within nuances of that term that I think if we really looked at the term and talked about it, we would see those nuances come up. And I think it would continue to be very comprehensive. So to use the term as a shorthand, right, I think it's something that people can understand, of course. But I think it's also, and I love the fact that you're doing this through podcast, right, because people can add in 
their mm-hmm. understandings and their nuances of that term. And so I want to just acknowledge your genius and brilliance there. Thank you. Oh, I'm going to just I'm going to just take that compliment and roll around in it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting when people push that term away, it's often because they don't like the word wound and the concept of potentially acting from that place. Because it's either kind of like bottom up or top down, right? Like I can come from the wound and still be kind of like spreading whatever bullshit comes from that wound. Or I can be on top, like looking from like an aerial view of what's happened in my life and use that then in the knowledge that I have to pass along to people that I work with. Yeah, that's beautiful. And again, I think like you said, I think the word used before was bias, right? So that. Mm -hmm. a word, right? But it means all these different things. Yeah. And so I'm thinking the same thing about wounded healer. And what does yeah. that mean to folks? And how do we deal with the shadow sides? And I think mm-hmm. in, in a very Western and individualistic culture, we don't do enough work about talking about right. our shadow side. Absolutely. Well, we're coming to the end of the hour. I can't believe it. Like, I feel like I could talk to you for like 12 more hours and we'd still have a lot to say to each other, but (laughs) I want to make sure to value your time. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure to share with people? In terms of deep depths and content, no, I feel I'm Mm -hmm. feeling good. I'm feeling good. And I absolutely enjoyed talking with you. I'm glad that you're local. So we can actually. I know we could actually meet. (laughs) We can just go get coffee. But for folks who are listening and who would like to know a little bit more about the work, see the work Mm -hmm. itself, interact with the work, you can find me a few different places. So the work that I do personally under Jade T. Perry is very easy. It's on jadetperry.com. I also have a subscription-based platform where I share a little bit more of exclusive content, particularly around the churchy mysticism and sexuality piece, because mm-hmm. it allows me to be a little bit more free in terms mm-hmm. of what I And that is on patreon.com slash JT Perry. Mm-hmm. You can find me under those same names and handles on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And if you're having questions about the Mystic Soul Project specifically, where we center POC and healing activism, mysticism, and wellness, then that will be mysticsoulproject.com to understand a little bit more about that work. So those are Mm -hmm. all the places where you can find me. If you want to have a more personal conversation, you can find me at info at jtperry.com. And if I can help, I will help. If I cannot help, I will refer you to someone yes. else. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, I don't know about you, but in my work, I'm coming to the place where I almost can't respond to all of those requests now. And it's kind of breaking my heart because that's why I went into this in the first place in private practice. And my like my mission is if I am not the person, I am going to find the person for you. And it's becoming harder and harder for me to do that with all the info that kind of comes my way. Sorry, that was just a big sigh there. (laughs) I completely understand. You know, for me, the way that I've worked around it is even when folks email, I have resources in the automatic response. So even if you email, these are the things, there will be resources that will come back to you inevitably through the auto response. And so that's the way that I found to still be able to have, you know, that personal kind of 
touch. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's a lot on our plates, especially when you're doing this work, it requires a lot of you. And so Mm -hmm. people don't understand that in the co-founding of a nonprofit or a private practice and all of these different things, it can be hard to get back. Right. But I think for me, I found at least a small way to at least get folks a resource or two or three or four or five. (laughs) Yeah, that's smart. Probably going to have to steal that. Yeah. Thank you. If you need to, one of the things that I have on my website is called the Healing in Our Times Project. Mm. And it is a mini directory of healing resources. Mm. That's another resource that people can look at. It's on my site, jtperry.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's so funny when I really just kind of go on my intuition when I reach out to people I don't know and just trust the referral source essentially. And I, But I never know what I'm going to get. And I'm always like blown away by the awesomeness of the people that I find. And this is absolutely no exception to that. You're just, you're just a delight. Thank you so much. As are you. I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to talk. Thank you so much, Jade, for joining me on the show today. It was so lovely to get to know you. Thank you, as always, to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and Ben Mueller for our amazing theme music. For more information about Jade, please check her out on our website, www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast for all the ways that you can connect with her. And as always, please share the podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell your dog. Well, I mean, if you tell your dog, he's probably not going to listen, but you can tell him anyway. Thanks again for listening, guys. Have a great day. Till next time. Mm